Welcome into Two for One Drafts. This is Austin Gale with Mike Renner. We have a ton to dive into today. We are going to talk about our favorite picks from your latest mock draft on PFF.com. We're also going to dive into some early declarations, guys, that are already declaring for the 2020 NFL draft. We also want to pray. It's over. Yeah. Right? Yeah, ah, season's over. It doesn't we, we seem got, like it, right? Season. But, it, yeah, still but like it is. Some guys are like done. So yeah. there's no more tape for some of these guys. So. That is unfortunate for some of these guys. Yeah. That is unfortunate. But we also will be talking about some of the top and bottom performances from rookies and prospects. Before we dive into that, I have to say you look pretty nice today, Renner. Oh, you got a nice little it. proper cloth tee. Mm. I also do as well. I was going to say, cloth. you're the one that like looks a little more out of place, I'll say. Like, yeah, 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 it's a little, sure. little different in terms of usually it's a striped polo or you know, a name, <laughs> or normal t-shirt. polo. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, usually the baseball cap four, but now we have proper cloth sponsoring us and uh, the shirts are pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think when you go on the website, you're able to put in all your size requirements, all the stuff, perfect fit. And they like the styles that I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed at the level of styles you could choose from, but proper cloth, Big thanks to sponsoring us. We're definitely excited to be donning these fits on the podcast moving forward. But let's dive into this mock draft here. We're going to touch on every pick for the podcast listeners, but then highlight some of our favorites. Number one overall, Cincinnati Bengals diving into Joe Burrow of LSU. I think that one's Never obvious. Am. I don't see that changing until we get to the draft. I think you're going to be mocking Joe well, Burrow. Well, unless the Bengals don't get the first pick. True. That's the only way it changed. Very true. Yeah. Very true. But I mean, if New York Giants are there at number one, you're looking at Daniel Jones. I mean, I would. So whoever it is, if you're draft number overall you suck bad enough that you're unless your quarterback got hurt or whatever mm-hmm. but you suck bad enough that you should probably also take joe burrow like, yeah. like that's usually how it goes like you if you're uh who is it tennessee titans you know when they had the first overall pick they had marks mariota and they trade out of the first round pick you don't think they would have rather had carson wentz or jared goff at this point maybe not jared goff i don't know well i don't know <laughs> what the hell's going on with his career but you don't think they would have rather had that than the past few years of mariota just kind of uh pooping his way through uh <laughs> the you know games for them mm-hmm no, you I think they, no, you I know, like you know, you, exactly. If you draft number one overall, chances are the quarterback that is under center for you is probably not your guy. Keep drafting quarterbacks until you think you have one. Yeah. And I can't say right now, do the New York Giants think they have one? I'm not sure. Do the Washington Redskins think they have one in Dwayne Haskins? I don't know. And I think they got a rolling rook segment, though. Yeah, exactly. We'll get to that. <laughs> number two, we have the New York Giants taking Chase Young. I think that's obvious, of course. So number three, Washington Redskins offered to tackle from Georgia Andrew Thomas. <laughs> Four, the Dolphins taking Justin Herbert off the board. I think that makes a ton of sense. If he's there at number four, they're going to pull the trigger on a quarterback, even though we're not as high on yeah. Justin Herbert as probably others are. I think, but again, have, draft quarterbacks. Yes. Like it's, I'm not going to argue. I didn't even argue when the Giants selected Daniel Jones last year because there were enough things there that you, it's still a crapshoot, but you'd rather take that crapshoot at the most valuable position than take it at defensive end and get Clint Farrell. Absolutely. There you go. Number five, Atlanta Falcons. They take the cornerback from Ohio State, Jeffrey Okuda. Six, this one of our favorite picks here. We'll stop on this one. Detroit Lions take edge defender AJ Epinesa of Iowa. I love this fit largely because it's he's he's not a clone of Trey Flowers, but they are very similar yes. players. And I think Matt Patricia loves this type of guy who can play inside and outside, has the size to do so, and he's going to build a defensive line that can really go toe to toe with any O line in the country. Two fold, yeah, two twofold reasons why. One, need. I mean, Trey Flowers is the only guy that can rush the passer on that defensive line at the moment. Romeo Aquara, 61.5 pass rushing grade this year. Devon Kennard, 60.0. Uh, and they've been bad last year. They were the two lowest, you know, great edge defenders last year, too. They came in this year knowing that they were bad, uh, still playing them out there. So it's obviously a need. And then the versatility aspect. You have two guys in Trey Flowers and AJ Epinesa who can pretty much line up anywhere along the defensive line, except for maybe nose tackle at full time and still be a productive player. Like that's how, 
That's how 6'6", 280 for AJ Epinesa. We've seen him kick inside to Iowa and whoop up on guards, especially here in recent weeks. So I do think that two players with versatility like that, perfect for a Matt Patricia defense, uh, you know, if he's still there, uh, caveat. But yeah, yes, I, I do think if Matt Patricia is still there, that is a perfect fit for their defense. Even if he's not, I mean, like Trey Flowers and AJ Epinesa is a pretty damn good edge combo at that point. Absolutely. Let's go number seven. Arizona Carlos is another one of our favorites here. Offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. Iowa teammates there, Epinesa and Wirfs back to back. A very athletic offensive tackle that could play guard to start if they wanted to move that way. But I think he starts immediately at tackle for the Arizona Cardinals. And a big reason I like this one is because if Cliff Kingsbury is going to continue to run these light person. 10 and 11 yes. personnel heavy you're going to need an athletic offensive tackle and get up to the second level in this run scheme and on screens and things like that yeah. worse to arizona i like it yeah worse getting up on linebackers you know you run that read option he lets the guy free goes up to the second level he's dominant on that and he getting out space on screens fantastic at that as well but i also love that with all that freakish athleticism he probably has the strongest anchor of any offensive tackle in this draft class uh we've touched on it before if you're a mobile quarterback a lot of defenses will rush you off the edges by bull rush and they will not you know try to make inside moves they will not try to lose contain and so they will bull rush against your tackles and if you're going to try to bull rush just worse it's not going to work uh, he was the bruce feldman's number one freak list he hang cleans more than brandon scherf broke his record as a sophomore there at iowa he is a monster athletically and physically so if you're going to bull rush him on the edge uh he's not going to see an inch and Kyler Murray's going to have some big ass pockets to step up into no team in the nfl right now has run more screens in the Arizona Cardinals. I think bringing in an mm-hmm. offensive tackle is almost underrated at that point. I, I think you do need to have an offensive lineman that can get out there in space, especially on as many times as Cliff Kingsbury does run wide receiver screens. He likes to get offensive tackles out wide, blocking cornerbacks and stuff like that. I think worse, a perfect fit for that offense. Like you said, very good against the bull rush. I do like that fit. Let's go back to the mock here. Number eight, Jacksonville Jaguars taking Jerry Judy of Alabama. We have the Jets taking Alex Leatherwood off the tackle of Alabama. We got a little Alabama run here. Chargers mm-hmm. at 10. Jedrick Wills, a very explosive, athletic offensive tackle. I see I, he's not a project. I think he's very good, but I like. I, I, I only reason project comes to mind is because he's going to get a lot better. I think he's mm-hmm. still very young, and he projects to get a lot better in the NFL. Yeah, Let's and he's go. no, he's not DJ Fluker. Yes, if you're scared <laughs> as a Chargers fan, being like we're drafting the Alabama right tackle again, mm-hmm. no, this is a little different, different sort of breed of offense tackle. He's more Lane Johnson than DJ Fluker. Denver Broncos taking Derek Brown of Auburn, an absolute monster in the middle. Though I did want to bring this up if we are talking Derek Brown. When we were watching the game this past weekend, his frame, his, his frame is so interesting. He doesn't have a ton of girth around the legs. He has the he's all torso. Yeah, he's all torso. He's a tree trunk. Yeah, and then like he's got like some. Brain branches coming out but like the branches pale in comparison to that trunk mm-hmm. uh and then roots going in the ground or whatever but that dude has the craziest build i never like thought about it before we were watching because you just assume you know big ass dude yeah powerful dude but like it's all torso. It's Dude, wild. He looks like a potato <laughs> with like toothpicks stabbed into it for arms and legs. It's like so caught in the middle. I don't know if necessarily necessarily a bad thing, but definitely something of note for Derek Brown. Let's go to 12. One of our favorites here, Philadelphia Eagles taking LSU cornerback Christian Fulton, a very sticky man coverage corner, probably the best cornerback on their team. If yeah. they did pick him at number 12, I think this makes a ton of sense largely because that secondary is decimated. They're struggling with double moves. They're struggling with regular moves. Mm-hmm. They're not really getting a lot of things done. 
in the secondary. You have to throw resource at the cornerback and safety position until you find some guys. I think Christian Fulton is a guy. And Christian Fulton has one of the most impressive grading profiles you know, career-wise we've really ever seen. 89.7 grade last. So 13 snaps as a true freshman back in 2016, whatever. Ignore those. Got suspended for that year because uh, of the positive drug test uh, that he then, you know, whatever, lied about. Or what was it? I forget the story now off the top of my head. But he lied about, got suspended for two years, ended up getting reduced to one. Comes back 89.7 coverage grade last year as a redshirt sophomore. Could have declared, probably wants to get away from that, uh, you know, drug test or whatever thing that I probably should remember what happened. Comes back this year, 89.7 coverage grade again. Like that's back to back elite coverage grades in the SEC, which I've been told is the best conference in America. That's pretty damn good. Like, I feel pretty confident about Christian Fulton being a pretty darn good NFL player with what we've seen from him this year. Let's go to 13. Tampa and then the need for the Eagles. Yes. Uh, it's always a need. It's right, always I mean, a need. you watch him play a game this year and you know it's a need. Like Jalen Mills is still playing for them. Like, well, they knew Jalen Mills was bad. Okay, maybe they didn't know Jalen Mills was bad. We, everyone else knew Jalen Mills was bad like three years ago. Mm-hmm. And he's still starting for them. That's how big of a need it is. Number 13, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Speaking of need, they take cornerback Trayvon Diggs. Yes, they brought in Sean Murphy Bunting. Yes, they brought in Jamel Dean. Jamel Dean did absolutely bunting Bunting, Sean Murphy bunting Um, but I still think they they need help in the secondary I mean they've thrown a ton of resources at it how how much would that suck if you had three bad good corners wow oh man unfortunate you'd have to trade one we should have went elsewhere you know we we, should have drafted somebody else no one can pass on us (laughs) there's uh, there's no way we're gonna get after this get out get out of this um Number 14, Carolina Panthers. They take defensive interior Javon Kinlaw of South Carolina. We also have the Cleveland Browns at 15. Linebacker Isaiah Simmons of Clemson, a very athletic, rangy linebacker. Could play safety, could play slot corner, probably best projects as they a linebacker. Need them. They, they need the Browns. all of them. They're going to need a Swiss Can you play now. all three? Uh, can you clone him? Yeah. They can play all three. And Joe Schober, a pending free agent. I, they'll probably yeah. bring him back. He's like the heart of that team right now. Cleveland Browns oh, faithful God. would lose their minds no, they just let if him they walk. let Joe Schober John Dorsey. Walk. <laughs> Would be gone. Yeah. 16, Oakland Raiders. They take C.D. Lamb of Oklahoma to help whoever the Raiders quarterback is going to be in Las Vegas. I'm not banking on it being Derek Carr. I mean, <laughs> oh. he's had opportunities. He's had opportunities. That's a call. He's had opportunities. I said that take... like two years ago when Green got hired. I thought they were going to move like right away, but yeah. He's had an opportunity to take a step forward. I think he struggled. Yes, they don't have Antonio Brown. The supporting cast isn't great, but game in and game out, you're seeing the struggles continue. I think there is an opportunity in this class if they wanted to move forward. There's going to be a ton of quarterbacks on yeah. the free agent market. Winston, yeah. Mariota, Tannehill, Winston's Breeze. I mean, all these guys are you know, technically Breeze, hitting the free yeah, agent okay. market, but I think there's going to be opportunity there to maybe make an upgrade at the position. Whether or not, though, they're going to make an upgrade wide receiver. CeeDee Lamb of Oklahoma goes at 16 to the Oakland Raiders. Indianapolis Colts, 17, another receiver, LaVisca Chenault. Uh, Raiders back again via the Chicago Bears. Marvin Wilson, the defensive interior of Florida State. Going to Tennessee, they take at 19, Edge Yatur Gross Matos of Penn State. Let's stop there. A project player, mm-hmm. I think you're ter- maybe not a no, no, not one of our favorite fits, but someone a player I want to talk about specifically because he hasn't graded extremely well yeah. in the PFF system. He's gotten better every year. I'm not putting mm-hmm. uh, that that's always a positive, but he hasn't reached that upper 85 level of play specifically as a pass rusher to where you're starting to get excited about him projecting to the next level. What has you feeling confident about him as a first round pick? Well, I, I just think the NFL is going to see him that way. This is what we're projecting here for the NFL. I, I just think that you're going to see a guy who's six five. You know, 
it's probably going to be in the two sixties. Uh, may not run extremely well, but I think his cone, like he's going to have the movement skills uh, and the sort of the full pro athletic profile is going to be good. And so at that point, I just think that the NFL very much covers it. I've got like Montez Sweat. Now he's not going to be that athletically, but Montez Sweat can go in the first round when he was not productive at all uh, until his senior year. Uh, had a similar sort of grading profile to Yuter uh, Grossmatos heading into his senior year there at Mississippi State. Yuter Grossmatos got better every single year. Montez Sweat got better every single year, but you never really saw a dominant play from him. I think that's what Yuter Grossmatos is. Uh, I'm not sure he declares. I mean, he may come back to school and say, hey, I want to dominate and go a little higher than uh, this, but yeah, I just think the NFL falls in love with the traits, and he has them. Number 20, Jacksonville Jaguars via the Rams. They take Grant Delpit of LSU. You have Dallas Cowboys taking Edge Julian Aquara of Notre Dame, an athletic freak that should test very well at uh, the Combine. Miami Dolphins at 22 via the Steelers at Minka Fitzpatrick trade. Josh Jones of Houston, group of five offensive tackle. That's pretty athletic, has graded really, really well in PFF system against group of five competition. But we think at the Senior Bowl, this guy's going to make some money. I, I definitely yeah. see him winning a lot of one-on-one matchups, people coming away very impressed with Josh Jones, number 23, Kansas City Chiefs, C.J. Henderson of Florida. Kind of a, forgot, a forgotten man in this quarterback cl- cornerback class, largely because he's not really tested a ton. He's a very quiet cornerback. He, when we spoke to him earlier in the year, he said that you know he's not, he doesn't talk a lot on the field. He's not a flashy cornerback, but a very sticky man corner can, can mirror guys very well. And 24, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I'm going to stop here as well. Cornerback Jalen Johnson of Utah. Ooh. They need cornerback. Like they need every. I mean, Xavier Rhodes. Rhodes are open right now. I think he's been bad for the last couple years. Mike Hughes also struggling a bit against DK Metcalf. Trey Wayne's a free agent this offseason. They could be losing him. I think an upgrade at cornerback. You know, Mike Zimmer loves cornerbacks. I think this Jalen Johnson pick makes a ton of sense. Yeah, Jalen Johnson really opening my eyes here down the stretch for Utah. The way he's played the past month and a half, uh, he had he had a five game stretch in the Pac-12 play where he allowed five yards on something like like 200 cover snaps five yards to it he just like didn't allow a catch he allowed two catches over that span a couple screens four or five total yards uh, and that was against the likes of arizona state cal washington ucla and arizona five straight games and it's just like not a lot of guys do that and yeah he really took a next step in his performance this year 86.1 now coverage grade for the season and he's a playmaker makes a ton of plays on the football he's he's going to be and we put him here this is my projection of the first round because uh you know he meets the nfl sort of size uh i think speed thresholds i'll still be interested to see where he tests might be in the four five range uh possibly i don't think he's blazing fast but he's playing his way up the PFF board as well. Like this is where I'd fi- probably feel comfortable taking him at this point because he is, he has been playing this well down the stretch. He does have a huge opportunity as well in the Pac-12 championship game against Justin Herbert yeah. in that Oregon offense. I think if he turns in a good game there, mm-hmm. you're going to start to see his draft stock rise even further. And uh, going to Minnesota, like you mentioned, Trey Waynes is go- probably gone. I mean, he's a free agent after this year. Xavier Rhodes has declined sort of precipitously there for Minnesota. Uh, they have Mike Hughes. They like him probably more than the slot Mackenzie Alexander as well Jalen Johnson going to be a little bigger uh play more make more plays on the ball down the field than those guys at this point so I and Mike Zimmer has never been one to shy away from draft corners he, he is the nor should he be exactly he is he is the sort of they did it, he did it when he was with the Bengals they drafted a ton of corners and he's done it now with Vikings number 25 Miami Dolphins via the Houston Texans they take edge Curtis Weaver of Boise State a guy that has graded stupidly well in yeah. PFS system against group of five competition but the guy just doesn't lose as a pass rusher a versatile prospect can 
play several positions along the defensive line. 26, Buffalo Bills continue to add to that offensive line. They bring in center Tyler Biotish of Wisconsin. And 27, this one you got to stop on. One of our favorites. I love this fit here. Quarterback to attack of Iloa of Alabama because the Green Bay Packers at 27. Talk about a team that can afford to let a quarterback wait, get fully healthy, mm-hmm. back to form as Aaron Rodgers continues to move forward. And it's not even just let a quarterback wait, but it's like uh, you'll probably have to play. Like Rodgers has gotten hurt, was it, you know, like a handful of times over mm-hmm. the past five or so years. A couple of years of those, they just completely torpedoed their season. So uh, if Aaron Rodgers does get hurt, too, it would be thrust into action. But Rodgers is older right now than Brett Favre was when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. Wow. Rodgers is 36 right now. Favre was... Uh, was not quite 36 at that point. I think it was 35 when they drafted uh, Aaron Rodgers. So uh, that is, I mean, it's notable. Like Aaron Rodgers, he's been good for a long time, but he's he's not been as good as he was in 2014. I was not even close to as good as he was back in 2011. Like he is on the downward slope of his career. Everyone ages at a different rate. It's only been recently that you've seen guys play into their 40s. Mm-hmm. And so that means on the rookie contract of Tua Tagovailoa, he will be, would be starting if you did draft him this year there is a good chance that he would be starting uh by the end of that by you know the end of five years so i do think that now would be the time and i just i can't see even if you get doctors saying hey this you know this is going to heal this hip or whatever he's going to be back i'd be hard pressed to you guys taking him in the top 10 top 15 with that injury risk because it's such a major injury just getting your hip like that you know, everyone and then having the most notable guy with that same injury be Bo Jackson. You know, Bo Jackson's was a little different because he had it was steroid induced uh, and that was very much played a big part in why mm-hmm. his recovery did not go well. Uh, but still, like, that's just a bad it's going to stick in. Uh, you know, decision makers' minds, uh, and no one wants to be that guy who took a player that just never saw the field. Yep. And, lo- and, and looking at PFF's latest quarterback rankings, we dropped that today on PFF.com. Aaron Rodgers, right now, according to PFF overall grade, is ranked ninth in the NFL. Definitely not where you'd expect Aaron Rodgers to be. He's kind of a top five quarterback in everyone's eyes, but definitely you've seen it in here in Steve Palazzolo's write up an up and down season for him. He's had some bad plays, you know, turn- um, taking sacks, throwing the ball away like we saw last year. It's just not the same. Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers, we saw like in years past, like you said, to attack of Iloa, though, I think we need to see that happen because I'll tell you right now, down the stretch of New England Patriots, see to attack of Iloa on the board towards the back end of the first round. You could see them pull the trigger as well because they have an opportunity yeah. to let him wait. Um, moving forward here, number 28. Seattle. Do they, though, do the, do the Patriots? Um, that's a different conversation. Whoa, but continue. Are you trying to get Tom Brady to hang up the cleats oh. right now? Jeez. Uh, number 28, Seattle Seahawks. They take cornerback Bryce Hall of Virginia, another forgotten cornerback in this mm. class because he got hurt. He's on, you know, the, uh, Injury reserve. I guess the college football's version of the injured reserve. He's There's not no playing. Reserve. There's Just, no, he's not playing. <laughs> he's not yeah. playing um, through the rest of this year. But um, a very, very good corner should be good in the cover three scheme. That's where we kind of still run a lot of that. Seattle yeah, still like top five in cover three this year. So there you go. New England Patriots not to attack below. They check edge Clavon Chason of LSU, a versatile player. That when we talked about this on video, talking about a guy that could play edge defender, they can maybe move an off ball linebacker mm-hmm. like they've done with Kyle Van Oy, Dante Hightower, Calvin Munson eventually. Jamie Collins. Was edge and at Southern Miss. Not a lot of people know Calvin Munson, San Diego State alum, fellow San Diego State alum, played a lot of edge defender at San Diego State. A little Don't off-ball. really need to know Calvin Munson. He's on still. the practice squad right now. I got some inside sources okay. saying he could see some time in the preseason um, next year. Okay. Yeah. There we go. There yeah, we I go. trust that source. You heard it here first. Number 30, New Orleans Saints. Um, 
They take wide receiver Henry Ruggs of Alabama. Mm-hmm. We call him Ted Ginn without the drops. Yeah. Definitely like that. He's a very fast receiver. Would help make you know add some explosion to that Saints offense. Then you have Baltimore Ravens at 31, taking a running back Here in the we first go. round. Uh-oh. Travis Etienne of Clemson. You have to talk about this one largely because I've been looking. Large, I've been looking around at other draft analysts and other people projecting the 2020 NFL draft. Travis Etienne is not a number one running back on a lot of people's boards. I see DeAndre Swift. A lot I of see are some, wrong. I see some Jake. Kate Dobbins mixed in. I mean, J.K. Nope. Dobbins, I like, okay, I don't, it's going to get but I don't see how you could watch J.K. Dobbins and Travis Etienne and come away being like, yeah, Dobbins is like better. Just, Etienne is more explosive, more elusive. I mean, he doesn't maybe get you, he's actually been utilized more in the passing game this year, too. He has like a career high in terms of catches this year, mm-hmm. Etienne. So I like, I don't know what you could base that off of and be like, yes, I'd like, like what vision, like the dude's averaging almost nine yards a carry. Like his vision's vision is pretty damn good. I don't know. Like ETN is, should be, unless, unless you really are saying the only person I could see putting ahead of him is DeAndre Swift. Cause DeAndre Swift has like legit receiving ability has shown it for multiple years now. And if you really covet that, I can see that, but that's really the only guy like ETN is just, good and like he used to be kind of small but he has definitely put on weight over the course of his Clemson career he's I think lifted at, listed at 210 right now which is more than good enough size mm-hmm. to play running back in the NFL I don't know I, I just I'm lost Todd McShay disagrees we've talked about that in previous podcasts but here's CBS Sports DeAndre Swift Jonathan Taylor J.K. Dobbins and then Travis Etienne. That's where people are seeing the running back class right now. I think that's going to change. I'm with you, and I'm with PFF overall. I mean, that's where Travis Etienne has graded out. He's playing yeah. very well. He's about to break the PFF record for force mm-hmm. missed tackles per attempt. Great creating con- uh, creating yards after contact, and good in the passing game. I, I, I mean, I think Travis Etienne projects the best of the NFL. But then going to the Ravens fit. I mean, you have a guy on Etienne who's going to run in the four threes in all likelihood. Like, he is ridiculously explosive. Paired with Lamar Jackson, who probably would have ran the four threes himself. You have those two guys in the backfield. Oh, yeah, we didn't even You talk can about go that. laterally so quickly with those two guys. Uh, you have, obviously, uh, you're going to scheme up just pretty much anything you want to do in the run game you are capable of doing because of those two guys. And you have this offense getting Gus Edwards to average 5.1 yards per carry. Like, you're giving Don't these guys. hate on Gus I'm just saying, you're giving these guys so much space. It, like ETN will feel like he's back at Clemson averaging nine yards a carry. Like he will, like that's that I don't advocate putting a running back in the first round, but when you have an offense like that, where you're going to run it a ton and just the threat he poses in terms of speed and how much they have to prepare for that, I could get on board with them drafting Travis ETN in the first round. I know if Eric and George hear this, they're probably going to murder me, mm-hmm. but I can get on board with that. If the NFL sees the running back class like CBS and ESPN does, so they could maybe catch him on the back end of the second. Yeah. So there you go. Well, I think maybe, maybe we start Feel a little bit better, but I mean, I, oh, I'd feel fantastic. About I have that. two things on that. Travis Etienne adds to that offense with Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown. You just have so much explosive exactly. weapons with a very good speed. offensive line. Speed. Two, the hate on Gus Edwards was unjust. <laughs> okay. Dude is a bully. I, yeah, an absolute I mean, bully. A bowling ball. And is, I, if you I, give him a head of steam, mm-hmm. tough to bring down. If you give him a head of steam, that's same with Derrick Henry. I, I, so Derrick Henry, I, I don't know if you've seen. The tweets on uh, about Derrick Henry, how he does better and like later in the season in November. I, I, it's he just needs to take a head of steam to get going. <laughs> yeah. He needs he the need- first like ten games of the season Loose to really life. start to build momentum, and, and yeah. it's like he's hitting the second level right now, which is uh, which is pretty funny. <laughs> the second level of the season, yeah, and he's gone. Exactly. There we go. Uh, number thirty-two, San Francisco 49ers winning the Super Bowl in this mock draft. They take safety Ashton Davis of Cal, keeping him local. A rangy safety, former high hurdler, track star. Guy's got a ton of speed, and the San Francisco. 
Francisco 49ers. So Jimmy Ward having a pretty big bounce back year, I think could add some safety help. That secondary a little bit older with Richard Sherman and also could use some talent. Mm hmm. Yeah, fantastic so, mock draft. I'm, I'm looking forward to just. Uh, we're probably going to do another idea. thirty of these before no. the 20, 20 NFL draft. There are so many. Mocks. Done forty mocks in the last thirty days. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> the Papa Johns. <laughs> That's amazing. I've done forty mock drafts in the last thirty days. We need to get that meme going. All right, uh, let's move to early declarations. Really? We've got three names here that we want to dive into. Um, First one, Jalen Rieger of TCU. This is a this is a fantastic one, and also kind of a I'm a little bummed out by this one. I like Jalen Rieger declaring for the 2020 NFL Draft, wow. but this season has been a little bit of a bummer for me. I was expecting more because he had such a good 2018 campaign. I thought he'd come back to TCU, try and add to his production. Now coming out after this year, I don't think he's going to get valued significantly high in the NFL. Dude, yeah, I mean he he really had a down year, and but he was also I'd say so one of the lowest graded quarterback situations. Um, in all of college football with TCU. They're just, they just weren't good. But also, he was in one of the worst in terms of just like production situations in all of college football. He was 164 wide, 164 players in college football were thrown more screens than Jalen Rieger. Mm-hmm. Jalen Rieger is going to run the four threes. He's going to jump around 40 inches. He is incredibly explosive. He broke a ton of tackles last year after the catch. If you're only giving him the ball 11 times on screens, what are you doing? You were yeah. at a terrible offense this year. You didn't have a lot of playmakers in that offense. Get him the ball by any means necessary. Instead, what they did was they lined him up at right wide receiver, 653 of his 786 snaps this year. Statically put him on the right side where teams could game plan for lack of and be like, hey, we'll put one guy over the top of him. You know, shade of safety his way, and all of a sudden, like your offense is shut down because you got no one else. I mean, they didn't make a bowl. I'm not criticizing Gary Patterson, great defensive mind. Okay, I'm criticizing him. That was a bad offense. It's just like you got yeah. no, not a lot of playmakers, and you stuck him in that role. And yes, he struggled. They uh, could have taken advantage of his skill set much better than way that yes. way he was used. And I also think quarterback Sound like play. A jaded lover. I'm like, <laughs> I was so high on him. <laughs> but cor- but cor- quarterback play also played a part in his low production. Yeah. It wasn't great there at TCU. But if anything, this is a steal walking it's, I know he's right? going to fall it, in the draft it has hurt his value because like you can't look your fan base in the eye and be like yeah this guy got 611 yards last year I know there's I mean where was Philip Dorsett there's... drafted I mean that, that's true okay Philip yeah. Dorsett all maybe you speed. can or, or who's um, no, Bra- not Braxton no, Dorsett probably did only have like 800 yards coming yeah I think out, looking so. at PFF advanced data before he even started working here I think he only had like eight receptions beyond the line of scrimmage or something oh no no that was the Ohio State slot receiver I'm thinking of that was drafted earlier than people thought the guy who had the crazy spin move Anthony Gonzalez? No, no, no. Braxton Miller. Yeah, Braxton Miller had like eight receptions beyond the line of scrimmage. People were like, dude, this guy's amazing. (laughs) He's going to change the NFL. Um, Okay, so I guess Philip Dorsett, 871 yards this last year. Okay. But that's still like they're not similar Rieger's players though. 611. Rieger can actually run a route. Like yeah. Philip Dorsett yeah. struggles to create separation with all that yeah. speed. That's a huge concern. Um, let's go to the next guy here, Jordan Elliott. But I still I, to finish it. I'd mm-hmm. still be willing to take Jalen Reagan in the first round. Oh, Probably late well. first round, somewhere around that. So if you get him in the second, get him anytime day two. I'm going to call him Steel. There you go, Jordan Elliott of Missouri. He also declared early. This is it. You know, kind of a great interior pass rusher for Missouri. A young dude. I think this guy could see himself going in the top fifty. Yeah, he started start off his career Texas transferred to Missouri. He's a redshirt junior. This one, like you saw coming, he was going to. He's the only Power Five defensive tackle with a 90 plus run defense grade, 90 plus pass rushing grade. He was damn good this year. He had a higher grade than Derek Brown in an SEC play. Like he, he's going to be in the first round for us. This guy, I I want to see how he tests out because I think he's actually pretty damn athletic too. Like I think he could make his way into that. Uh, 
conversation for DT1. Like he is that good, has the size, length, athleticism, ticks pretty much every box you want on the interior. And then the production really was actually off the charts for us in terms of like, you don't see a lot of guys over the course of, uh, you know, our grading, six years of grading, who had 90 plus run defense and pass rush grades. And he did it in the sec so yeah he's going to he's moving up our board uh had a strong finish to a season as well against uh some all right off lines and all rights no pushing it against florida tennessee arkansas he just dominated those guys but yeah uh, there are so, a couple games where you can he just pops off the tape and yes. he dominates from that defensive interior position i think he's going to be he was one of our few like sleeper calls heading in the season that actually made us look smart a lot uh, of them were just like a lot of us just look dumb but elliot Two monster games last year against Arkansas and Tennessee. We're like, dude, like what we saw from that game. Think he's going to continue mm-hmm. this year. Huge year for him. So he's he could be end up in the first round combo. Staying in Missouri, tight end Albert Okui Bunam. He is, is going. Say it? Okay, I'm, I'm reading it off here for pronunciation. Okui Bunam. Okui Bunam. I feel like I got that. I nailed that, and you just you interrupted me. Akwe Boonem. Yeah, okay. Akwe Boonem. Akwe Boonem. Fuck. I, I thought I had it, like, the whole time this all fall. Akwe Boonem. Oh, my Akwe gosh. Boonem. You've been saying Akwe Boonem? <laughs> That's insane. Man. You I mean, I was just going phonetically for it. Jeez. You think that Akwe Akwe pronounced phonetically. You think they put that thing together and, like, yeah, pronounces phonetically all okay, the way. Okay, fair. All right. Akwe Boonem. Mm-hmm. Now I got it. Has uh, he's a, He was a similar... S- to Rager where he probably never should have come back. Like you go from Drew Locke to the quarterback situation this year, just was never going to be good. You were not going to be hit down the field. His last four games there, or his last five games there, excuse me, had uh, 66 yards receiving total over the last five games. Like he just, the downfield sort of production that he had just completely disappeared, completely fell off the map. Only 306 yards this year, still six tutties. So fairly good in that regard. Like he is a big bodied receiver, has good ball skills and body control in the red zone. Uh, and has fairly good straight line speed. I just question his route running ability. I don't, I don't think he's anything special as a route runner. And then he has struggled drops, of course, his career. Four more this year on 30 catchable. He's actually had four every single year of his career. So 12 drops, 110 catchable in his career. That's just, I see him as a fourth round kind of guy at this mm-hmm. point. Like if you get him, I, I just don't think he's going to be a game changer in your offense, but he can catch if you need him to. Fortunately, fortunately yeah. for you, he goes by Alberto. Okay. So you don't, need, you don't need to dive in there. Uh, but also, you, you bring up route running. You don't think he's going to be a special route runner in the NFL. I want to know for you, it's way different than I think for the wide receiver position, but where route running is a priority for a tight end position. Because I think, in my it's opinion, yeah. yards after the catchability, ability to force missed tackles, I think blocking is also mixed in. I think that and speed Blocked. and athleticism. But I, I mean, route running. Route where, running probably is, is lower on the totem pole because of the routes you are running are going to be a lot of you run a corner, you run overs, you run drags you're on that sort of stuff it's just a far less far more limited like the amount of times you're going to have to run you know a little out or those options the jason Witten option route just depending on your offense probably not going to be a lot you're probably not going to be featured but if you are going to be a travis kelsey if you are going to be a george kittle where you're you know a thousand yard sort of tight end mm-hmm. if you're a dynamic a guy you're going to oh, draft absolutely. early yeah you yeah. better be a damn good rapper you know if you're if you're a guy you're going to like i said draft uh first round which i don't usually get on board with or like early second round you better be a darn good route runner so I, I do think that's still uh like you can be you can have all the athleticism in the world uh but i'm not going to draft you highly if you're not a good route and runner. ball skills are in there too i mean you see with noah fan you draft him early he can't catch the football he struggles to track it in the air Man. and he approaches the ball poorly I, mean, I, would, him a I would rather have 
a, a guy with great ball skills and an elite route runner. Obviously, you need both for if you're going to draft them early mm-hmm. in the draft. But another thing, so you mentioned it's a limited route tree. That's a reason to put route running on low totem pole. But also, I think another reason to keep it kind of lower than a, the wide receiver position is because rarely are you asked to win as a route runner. You're not running against yeah. a ton of man coverage. It's, yeah, you're it's going, like you're a slot. You are, for a lot of intensive purposes, a slot receiver. Mm-hmm. And you're going against linebackers to where you need to just be fast. But, again, but, but like, again, like you can you can provide more value uh, at the tight end position. You can provide value and not be a good route runner. But if you're going to be, like I said, if you're going to be not replaceable. a changer, yes, mm-hmm. if you're going to be not replaceable, you better be, you know, you better have that in mm-hmm. your toolbox as well. You can't just be um, fast in a straight line. You can't just be Eric Ebron, fast in a straight line, and think you're going to find George Kittle. No, yeah. you got to be at all, mm-hmm. like to be that guy, to be a thousand yards or a tight end. It's great analysis, my friend. Great analysis. Let's move Let's forward. Yeah. Let's go to the raise the glass segment, a, a constant here on the two for one drafts podcast. This is where we highlight some of the top prospect performances from the previous weekend. This is going to go away soon. I mean, after bowl oh, season, we're not going to be raising glasses to any weekend performances. We're going to be pivoting 100% to focusing on the 2020 NFL draft, oh. senior bowl, NFL combine, a lot of good no. stuff here. I'm really, I'm actually looking forward to it. The raise the glass goes away, mm. but I'm excited yeah, to see what that. other segments we have coming forward. Let's start with Devin Duvernay. We're raising a glass to this guy but we texted back and forth a little bit. He had a monster day. Uh-huh. He played fantastically, a ton of receiving yards, a ton of production. I thought he played, he, he tracked the ball well on that deep post route that he did have. Looked very, you know, very good after the catch as well. I will say this though. I think a lot of his production is schemed. I still don't see him as this like elite route runner. And a lot of people are kind of highlighting him as an option at the next level to be like a, a highly regarded option at the next level. But with me, I don't see the wide receiver wins. I don't see that game changing ability to where I start to get really excited about him. I still see a lot of his production schemed at that slot receiver position in Texas. Yeah, I mean, I'm always wary of guys who turn it on when they're old. Uh, you know, when it's, you've done nothing your entire career, and then all of a sudden you get to your senior year, your last year, and everything, the switch sort of flips, and you have monster production. So with Duvernay, 41 catches in 2018, career high, 546 yards, career high, four touchdowns was a career high. This year, 102 catches, 1,300 yards, eight touchdowns. Just explodes off the map. You know, completely different player than we've ever seen before, but I think a lot of it is one, he feels, uh, he all of a sudden feels a little Jordan Humphreys role in that offense to where the slot just gets pumped targets. He had the most, uh, he had the second most screen passes thrown to him in all of college football. Most of any power five receiver, 45 times. such a good stat. Anyone who's trying to be a draft evaluator or, or is drafted yeah. elevator knowing the percentage of production a receiver gets on screens is massive 42 catches on screens mm-hmm. more than he had catches total all of last year i mean like that's so he huge. was just given like, given 42 catches it, on screens. it's so huge because you see these numbers where he caught you know 100 yeah. balls on these many targets for this many mm-hmm. yards okay how many of those were screens because screens are way less dependent on the player that's catching the football is the yeah. blocking and, and down in distance all of those things and i think you saw that with Nikhil harry though mm-hmm. at arizona state a lot of his production on shallow crossers screen passes and things like that to a point where yes he's great after the catch yes he forces missed tackles well but can he separate on these intermediate and deep routes and I think we're not seeing that with Nikhil Harry early on for the New England Patriots. And with Devin Duvernay, yeah. if all of your production's coming on screens, dude, miss me with that. And, I can and find so, another guy who can catch screens. Screen. So, so he broke 23 tackles, but 14 of those were on screens. And you're just going to have a better opportunity to break tackles mm-hmm. on 42 screens. Like, that's a ton of balls to have in space one-on-one against, uh, you know, DBs. So I do think that a lot of that... 
fake production, but I do like his ball skills. Uh, mm-hmm. Over the course of his career, he did only have five drops on 177 catchable. Like he has good hands. Like you mentioned, tracks the ball better than a lot of slot receivers, and he still is fairly good after the catch. Like he's five eleven, two ten. He's built like a running back. Turns into a running back fairly quickly after the catch. But I just don't think he's special. And a wide receiver class is so deep. He's you know you look at 102 catches, 1300 yards, and you're like, oh damn. But it's not like the amount of fake production that the amount of production that actually I think will translate to the next level is very minimal. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm still again worried about a guy who hadn't done it until a senior year. Rather than fake production, I like schemed production. I think uh, fake production feels kind of like mean. You it, know? Is, yeah. it has a little negative connotation. We we'll, have to think. We we'll think of a better Let's workshop a term. Let's There's got to be like that. one term because there's like multiple mm-hmm. positions that you can like apply it to. But yes, projected first rounder or raising a glass to Tristan. And worse of Iowa. He had a fantastic day this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic just down the stretch here for Iowa. Uh, really coming on strong. And the sort of the grading profile that you want to see if you're drafting an offensive lineman in the top 10. 87.8 pass blocking grade, 88.1 run blocking grade, now in a 90.4 overall grade for the season. Over his past six games, he allowed one pressure in the Big Ten play there down the stretch. He just... Dude's damn good. Uh, he really is. Uh, I was a little weary, wary heading into the season. I always get those two confused, those words. But I was a little wary heading into the season. I was like, I, there's still something he still needs to improve. Like, he is not, he's getting all this hype, but he is nowhere near a finished product. And we saw the necessary improvements. You see those necessary improvements. Also makes you feel a lot better because O-line, more so than any other position, you have a long way to go, even once you get to the NFL. So, uh, and the fact that he's going to make those is very encouraging. Wrestling background, you love to see that offensive lineman too. You love a wrestling background. Don't mm-hmm. let me bring up Oso Diggy Zuos. Yeah, I know. Okay? That's the that, first thing that came to mind. Uh, uh, Oso Diggy Zuos. You love him so background. much, you want to flip him to uh, OT. Yeah, that's exactly where we got. Okay, so let's go to Oklahoma cornerback Parnell Motley. I'm glad he's on this list because this guy who plays a ton of press coverage in Oklahoma's defense, and sometimes you get burned in press coverage. Sometimes you, it's a, it's, it can be a volatile type of uh, coverage, especially if you, you know, you're know you Jalen Mills. I mean, you can get to that level. <laughs> but Parnell Motley, only 20 receptions allowed all season long across over 340 coverage snaps, and this past week had a fantastic day. Three receptions allowed from six targets for 22 yards and a pick. I mean, do, doing this in press coverage to the level that he is doing at Oklahoma, I think he's going to get underrated in this class, but that experience is similar to true pass sets or true pass rush snaps, mm-hmm. snaps where you're not going against screens and things like that. Playing press coverage and playing well in in that coverage at the college level is very, very good for your draft stock. And I think that projects well to the next level. Yeah, over two-thirds of a snap came in press this year. And he's an, he's another one who's kind of interesting in terms of uh, the, the light switcher. Like, it didn't really, he hasn't really been great until this year. He, 770 yards allowed in 2018. 675 yards allowed in 2017. This year, though, 232 yards on 20 of 40 four targets that's probably the best statistical sort of season we've seen from big 12 corner in our grading like big 12 corners that, get housed yeah, yeah only allowing 232 yards all year in the big 12 uh is pretty absurd this past week against oklahoma state only allowed three of six targets for 22 yards and had his first pick of the season like you mentioned he's very good in press he's very patient at the line of scrimmage i just worry that one he's only Let's at something like six foot one eighty, which that's not the profile of a press corner. You no. want to be around one ninety five, two hundred. That's the profile a of a special over. teamer. Yeah, it's just like you you get you just get you know overpowered by bigger receivers when you're not when you're slightly built like that. Uh, I 
that one is concerning. And then two, I, I think he plays in press and uses that physicality to make up for some speed deficiencies. I'm curious to see what he runs at the combine because you did, rarely got to see him run really in a straight line without being, you know, on contact with a wide receiver, never just having to run. And sometimes when he did, he would, you know, the receiver, when he did lose a step, he would just get separated away from. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he runs, you know, a Joan Williams sort of time, whereas, you know, in the four sixes and you're just kind of like, oh, that's like not super great uh so i think testing will be big for him i'm not sure if he's invited to any sort of postseason bowl i hope he is at this point because that will be it'll be nice to see him in one-on-ones as well oh man he'll dominate one-on-ones he's got most experience yeah. so it'll be it'll be interesting let's go to the pour one out segment we're going to pour some beers out for some of the bad prospect performances from the weekend we'll start with lloyd cushionberry the third a guy i think he will be suiting up for lsu next year a registered junior has not played well down the stretch some people really did kind of you know, really like this guy as a prospect we even highlighted him a handful of times yeah. in a positive light against Arkansas, a 48.9 overall grade against Texas A&M this past weekend, a 46.5 overall grade struggling significantly in both those games in pass protection. When you're having those woes mm-hmm. as a redshirt junior, I think it is starting to look, you're starting to look in that direction, just a 59.5 overall grade so far this year. Maybe it is maybe an opportunity to come back at LSU and improve that stock. Yeah, I think he probably should. Uh, he just, it hasn't been good for him. And this past week against Texas A&M dribbled two snaps back to Joe Burrow, mm. which that it's never good to see if you're, you know, a career center. He's started there two years. You're still dribbling multiple snaps. Uh, that's Snap no dribbling. bueno. And then two just whiffs in pass pro weren't even against Justin Matabuke. He's probably their top prospect, although they were against Bobby Brown, who's a true sophomore. Not 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 a full fake ID candidate for us, okay. but just a name to watch. Okay. Just like Is keep an eye out for Bobby Brown. He's fun to watch. Nice. And a big, big ass, big ass DT. Uh, I think he'll have a big year next year. I mean, if you just. He saw Sloyd Cushenberry, so he probably will. But yeah, Cushenberry, he gave up 26 pressures this year after only allowing eight all last year on same amount of pass blocking snaps, Yeesh. pretty much. So uh, did not go his way. <laughs> probably plays for LSU next year. If he does declare, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up landing mm-hmm. in this. In this, um, Let's go do the next poor one out segment. I think it's an interesting one because I did see Donovan Peoples-Jones, the Michigan wide receiver. Matt Miller called out as a round one prospect. Matt Miller, the draft analyst for Bleach Report. No comment. We, we, no comment? You're going to no go comment. no comment on that? But Donovan Peoples-Jones did not have a great game against Ohio State or just a 52.4 overall grade in well, this one. I'll say this. If if I would be worried about drafting Jalen Rager and his 600, whatever, 661 yards, I'd be pretty terrified about Donovan Peoples-Jones and his 409 yards this year in the first Jeez. round. That's just all I'll say about that. Donovan Peoples-Jones, I'm going to say a little bit more. I'm going to say a little bit more. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say it. Donovan Peoples-Jones has struggled to separate all year long. Yeah. His route tree is very limited. I mean, he's he reminds me of the Michigan receivers we've seen in previous years mm-hmm. where he's this bigger receiver, very athletic, former five-star, but still struggles to run routes, has a very, very limited in that regard. And well, the- and Production then, is falling well, and then he goes against Ohio State this past week and his three contested catch opportunities doesn't haul in any one of them. He has the one in the end zone where he gets, you know, his bell rung, but he doesn't hang on to it. And it's a crucial touchdown that goes off the board there. I mean, he also so, got charted with three drops in this. And game. he had three drops as well. It was raining, what, you know, caveat, but caught his three, first three targets last targeted then nine times afterwards. Didn't catch a single one. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just... Uh, 
He's, a, he's not even a day two prospect for us at this point. Yeah, incredible. Donovan Peoples-Jones. Better name than a prospect. I'll say that. Let's go Brandon Jones here of the Safety for Texas. He did not have a good one. He's gonna be, We're going to be pouring one out for him. Yeah, I, he's a guy who I almost want to see switch to cornerback. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few really? guys every year that I call him and say, like, hey, I don't, I just don't love him uh, in off coverage and deep. Uh, he, so we played a lot of quarters in this game against Texas Tech, and he just got pretty much torched eight of 10 targets for 85 yards and a touchdown. And honestly, the two targets that didn't get completed, one was a drop. One was a deep ball that was overthrown that he was just his breaks from off. I don't know if it's instincts aren't there, but I love his like coverage ability, man, coverage ability. When he comes down and plays full slot cornerback, he makes some of his best plays and coverage. But when he's off those angles at deep safety, just understanding you know, sort of the routes that are coming at him, he's just a tick slow every single time. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if a team takes some, you know, mid mid rounds and is like, hey, maybe he's a quarterback for us. Like a like a Trey Flowers. Marvell Tell. I mean, that's the guy who said that you should maybe. Marvell Tell, yeah. I said him. Trey, Trey Flowers, the uh, Seattle, Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks. He was a safety at Oklahoma State. I think it's similar to both of those guys. And that, you know, he has uh, six foot 205. He has the size to play corner. Just let him let him rip. Let him rip. Let him rip. Let's go to the Rolling Rook segment. But before we do that, I didn't even mention this at the top of the podcast. We're going to take a little bit of a break here. I had an opportunity to interview Washington Redskins rookie Terry McLaurin. It's two for one drafts for a reason. We talk prospects and rookies. And this time we talked to a rookie, Terry McLaurin. We talked about his matchup with Darius Slay, how it's going with Dwayne Haskins a little bit. A very fun interview. A very smart dude. Came away very impressed with McLaurin. Let's go ahead and play the clip. You know, the biggest reason I want to talk to you this week is, is largely because of this Darius Slay matchup. I mean, you had an opportunity oh, yeah. to get shadowed by one of the best, you know, man-to-man corners in the game. Just talk to me about right. that experience for you, what you learned from it, and all of that. Yeah, I learned a lot because um, I think that was maybe maybe the first game all year where uh, maybe a little bit with the Bills, but we didn't really test it a lot in the past game. Uh, probably that was probably the first game all year where I've been press man the whole game no help me versus another guy and honestly that was probably the most fun I've had playing football um because it really allowed me to um not only make plays for my team but see where I stack up against one of the arguably the best corners in the game and um you may not get all the publicity like some of the other guys do like Jalen Ramsey um but he's very sound in his technique I started really early studying him and um, it was a chess match, honestly. Uh, there were some things I was winning on that he'd come back and he'd take it away. And then there were some things he was doing out of counter. And um, it was a back and forth the whole game. But uh, I knew at the end of the game, if I was going to get an opportunity to help us win the game, then I wanted to do that. So, um, you know, I'm thankful for my coaches and my teammates for putting me in that situation, too. Uh, and trust me to try to be a, a all-pro corner. That's fantastic to hear, man. I'd love to hear more about how you prepared for Darius Slay. What went into that preparation? Yeah, yeah well, usually every week I kind of um, more so on Tuesday, to, especially game plan on Wednesday when I get the game plan. I try to study the corner that I possibly going against. And, um, a lot of teams go left and right, so you kind of got to study both. But I was pretty pretty certain that I was going to get Darius Slay because he follows every team's best receiver for the most part. I, I, no, he does. So, um, you know, I, I spent a week all day Wednesday studying him and seeing what his techniques are, what things that he does when he's in press man, when does he open to run, when does he shoot his hand off the release, when I take the inside release, is he a one-hand jam, is he a two-hand jam, um, how does he try to uh, transition. And the things that I saw was he was very patient. Uh, he was great in transition, probably one of the better transition corners in, 
uh, transitions how he gets out of his breaks. So he sees he's reacting to whatever route I'm going, and he uh, he's very smooth and fluid the way he gets out of his breaks. So um, I knew it was going to be a very tough test, but I felt like I was up for the challenge. You know, during during the game, did you guys talk back and forth at all? I'm not sure how much uh, yeah. Darius Slay is Darius Slay a chatty corner. There's some chatty guys that Marcus Peters kind of comes yeah. up, Jalen Ramsey. But what's Darius Slay one on one? Does he does he talk a lot? How'd that you know during the game go? Yeah, man, he was a uh, one thing I say his his spirit. He just loved to compete. Um, there were some plays where he tell me good job, or there were some plays where he'd be like, uh, "I got you on that one." It was just friendly competitiveness going back and forth. Um, but the biggest thing is he didn't want to give up any catches. Uh, if I made a catch, then he was going to come back and try to get PPU. If he got a PPU, I was going to try to come back and make a catch. So literally that was a back-and-forth game. Um, and I just wanted to use, kind of keep a memory bank of what I was doing over the course of the game. Um, so when the game was on the line, I could possibly make the play when we needed it most. But he wasn't a really big trash talker, but he was competitive in the way he um, attacked each and every play. Did you guys take any plays off. Did you guys talk after the game? Yeah, we did. Um, he, he told me that, um, you know, I have a really bright future in this league. He said I was probably one of his toughest covers all year, which says a lot. Um, um, so he just said, keep working. And, uh, you know, we connected over social media and possibly get some work in the off season. But I have a lot of respect for him. And I believe I earned his respect as well. What would you say, you know, kind of the biggest takeaway from that matchup was for you going into you know, to the rest of the season, even into next year? What do you think you learned? Yeah. What's like a notable thing you learned? Yeah, well, one thing I learned is, um, you know, my speed is really a big advantage in my game, and it puts a lot of stress on corners, especially a patient corner like Darius Slay, where he was going to wait for me to do moves at the line, and if it wasn't believable, if um, I wasn't truly trying to sell a go route, then he was going to sit or squat or get hands on me. So when I started finding out that I had success, was I saw it in film study, but um, when I was in feeding them on inside releases, it was because I was speed releasing them. And then, you know, Coach O'Connor did a good job of putting me in situations of giving me a two-way go in the slot. So he had to respect the goal ball. He had to respect the inside release, the over route, and things like that. Um, so I think it just continues to add in my toolbox um, how I could possibly beat the best corners in the league. And then I, I tried to watch the film and see if I'm giving away any tails because over the course of the game, um, if, you know, a corner is going to adjust and see um, what you're doing to stop it. Mm-hmm. That that sounds awesome, man. I think you're that, that's that's got to be a huge step to getting you better and, and getting you you know in a right. place you want to be. I, I know you know lo- looking over the tape, I think there were a ton of opportunities where you beat Slay and you know throw falls incomplete, maybe you know not mm-hmm. not in arm's reach and stuff like that. Was a little was that a little bit frustrating? I'm sure that had to have been frustrating. Uh, I mean, it was, I want to complete them all, and Dwayne wants to complete them all, and the offense want to complete them all. Um, so that part was frustrating, but um, you know, you just puts more of an emphasis on me and Dwayne need to uh, continue to work, continue to um, even get more on the same page and where I'm going to be, where he's looking to throw the ball. And, um, but sometimes in the course of the game that happens. Um, but obviously over the course of the game, you want to hit more than you not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was learning experience. But I feel like the key thing is when Nick mattered the most, when we need to win the game, uh, we connect it. Yeah, how's that? How's your relationship with Dwayne going on? Obviously, you guys played together at Ohio State, and, and now playing yeah. together, he's the starter now. Talk to me about how often you guys speak during the week, and how often you're working together in that relationship overall. Yeah, we speak. I mean, daily. Uh, you know, we we're around each other a lot, been together around each other a lot since we got here in Washington, and um, you know, in the early part of our career here, we really leaned on each other to. Um, make plays for one another. They have that security blanket. 
while we're learning a new offensive scheme and uh, trying to compete in the NFL. So um, the relationship has continued to grow. Um, I feel like I've gained more trust in him. He's gained more trust in me, and we're continuing learning learning together. Um, but now that he's a starting quarterback and I'm possibly one of our go-to receivers, it's even more poignant that we're on the same page uh, more times than not. So we're constantly working on that. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the Slay matchup one more time, and then I'll let you go again. I really appreciate your time here. Um, you know, looking at all those, you know, all your routes run and all your targets, there are a handful of plays where I feel like, you know, that was his best route. That, you know, that was his best route. I'd love to hear from you mm-hmm. where you think where you think you had your best win, you know, your best route on the day. Um, there was a lot of my favorite. Probably the uh, the fade in the end zone that we missed was probably my favorite route of the day, mm-hmm. only because um, it was set up so perfectly. I feel like um, you know I was in the slot. He had to. I think I had just ran an over route, so he had to respect that. And uh, I knew he was going to be patient. So if I could get a speed release, close my shoulder, I would give us a chance to uh, you know go on that play because I knew he was going to have any help in man. So. Uh, we didn't connect, but that was probably my favorite route mm-hmm. um, of the day. That's funny you bring that up because you saw, I don't know if you saw, but Darius Slay after, I think he tweeted out, the over out, the hardest one to defend. And it's so true. Yeah. I mean, here at PFF, yeah. uh, I'm not sure how you're familiar are with Pro Football Focus, but we, we grade every player on every play at the NFL and college level. And something our graders kind of constantly struggle with is, you know, that corner trying to defend that over out. It's almost impossible right. to do against some of the better, faster receivers. So yeah. you're frustrated one of the best, man. I th- I'm sure that must be, you know, uplifting and it's a good way to enter the holidays um I'm, I'm sure we'll connect on social media i'd love to chat with you in the future too um but best of luck for the rest of the season again i really appreciate your time all right no problem ha- uh, happy thanksgiving to you i appreciate the time of course man have a good one the mclaurin interview obviously awesome and it's a good segue too into our rolling rook segment where we highlight some of the top rookie performances. Dwayne Haskins yes. had a pretty good day this past weekend. He had three big-time throws. Those are PFFs. Highly graded throws mm-hmm. and zero turnover-worthy plays. As a rookie, you're always looking for that donut mm-hmm. in turnover-worthy plays because if you turn the ball over, that's the quickest way to the bench and it's the quickest way to get in harm's way in PFF's opinion. Yeah, so that was the, that was the encouraging thing. It was cutting down on those turnover-worthy plays. Uh, of his big-time throws, actually two of them fell uh, to the turf. One was a nice play to McLaurin that uh, he didn't catch down the sidelines. One was uh, up the seam in the end zone too. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But so those were encouraging the fact that he was making some nice throws down the football field while also, you know, taking good chances with the football, not putting it in harm's way. Still, though, pocket presence issues when things sort of go south, they go south. Five sacks on the day for him. But at least if if you're taking sacks, it's better. I think as a young quarterback, sacks are better probably than picks uh, right off the bat. You want to see a guy who's willing to protect the ball, but uh, the sacks at this point are kind of getting to uh, not a great level now. It's against a bad offensive line, but uh, you want to see that improve. That's one. That's probably the next thing we want to start seeing to improve with Haskins down the stretch here. Mm-hmm. Alright, let's go ahead and move forward here. Juan Thornhill, the Kansas City Chief Safety. This was an impressive play. Mm-hmm. A very impressive play. I think right off the snap, they're playing the Oakland Raiders. Tyrell Williams running kind of an out and then an in looked like a little little uh something you see in Madden or something kind of a delayed in route and then he's got his eye, at the snap he's got his eyes locked in on Tyrell Williams seeing where that route's going and as soon jumps. as he breaks yeah he looks before to the, the throw look, yeah look, before the throw looks to the quarterback sees where the ball is coming and jumps that throw and takes it for pick six I think that was a very very impressive play for a rookie and this guy I think we really did like coming out yeah. of Virginia a former cornerback who played safety as well at Virginia and now in the NFL playing safety for the Kansas State Chiefs those instincts those ball skills big fan you love seeing a guy break on a football without having to see a quarterback cock his arm. Yes. You know, that's when you trust your instincts. That's when you know what's coming. And then you 
then you find the football. That's what he did in that pick six. He's having a good year. I mean, 75.0 coverage grade uh, doesn't sound exceptional, but as a safety heading into the NFL to be above average right out the gate is very encouraging. Uh, so I do think Juan Thornhill, a lot to like. Second round pick, 63 overall. Looks like they got one of the steals of the draft at this point. There you go. So I was talking to Solomon Wilcox recently, mm-hmm. a PFF colleague now. He comes in the office every day. He's great. Uh, we were talking about Derek Carr after the Bengals game. He went to the Bengals facility they talked to Jesse Bates a little bit Mm -hmm. and Jesse Bates is saying Rod Woodson who I think they knew from you know where they went to high school or something like that Rod Woodson told Jesse Bates that before Derek Carr throws a football he gives it a little pat on the side and I was watching that Juan Thornhill pick and it just one little little pat and then throws it and it was I hope that's not if that's actually what's happening that that was like the tell in Playmakers if you guys ever saw the show Playmakers they're like he taps it twice or whatever when he's gonna run or I can't remember off the top of my head but that that, was like they were watching it at a strip club on tape uh, watching him like his highlights and that's how they figured it out maybe that's how Woodson to be fair though with the tell I feel like it's so immediate before the throws made that it's hard really if you're reacting to the tap you're reacting to the arm cock at the same time because it's so quick but at the same time it was interesting because Jesse Bates had an interception that game against the Bengals he jumped that pass and uh, so I kind of want to go watch this I couldn't imagine having a tell (laughs) as an NFL quarterback but I'll have to go so I watched the Juan Juan Thornhill pick because he jumped it so quickly He he jumped so quickly but it, to be fair, he wasn't, he wasn't looking, looking at the tap. Yeah. He wasn't looking at the tap, but he did tap it. So, I mean, one tap, two tap, there you go. And that's where Derek Carr is right now. Let's go to the next rolling rooks guy here. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. This is another one. A very impressive interception. You're going to land on the yes. rolling rook segment if you do that. He, Man, this was incredible. You know, follows Justin Hardy, who, let's just go ahead and say this right now, why is Justin Hardy still in the NFL? That guy hasn't done anything <laughs> since being drafted from East Carolina. Say what you really mean. Here's my take on Justin, here's, <laughs> here's my take on Justin Hardy. Shane Carden made Justin Hardy. And Shane Carden's not even in the NFL. That's where we're at right now with Justin Hardy. That's a take. Anyway, okay. he follows Justin Hardy. Justin Hardy stops his route Chauncey says oh I'm looking at um, I'm already looking at the quarterback anyway jumps in front of the other pass takes that pick it was very impressive the only thing I'm upset with that interception you had your boy shy Tuttle give Matt Ryan a stiff arm as he's rolling down the field <laughs> he runs out of bounds just before Matt Ryan's about to come at him I stay in there throw him a second one let him yeah. know what's up um, I'm a, a bad end but I still love the play from Chauncey yeah, I mean, it was incredibly heady for a rookie to be making because that's man coverage mm-hmm. and that's not his man. But he knows that he is on. He has like a drag route that he's covering. It's not a difficult route necessarily to cover. And so he knows in his hip. He knows he's in his wide receiver's hip pocket so that he can look back at the football and start to play that, you know, feeling the contact of the wide receiver. If he moves, he's going to move with them. Sees Matt Ryan go to cock and then he just leaves his guy, jumps that route, <laughs> makes the pick. So he's had a good year. Chauncey Garner Johnson uh, for for a rookie, also looking like one of the seals of the draft, drafted way later than Thornhill. Fourth round pick, 105th overall. Uh, his second time making PFF's team of the week this season. So uh, good on you, Chauncey. Good on you, Rolling Chauncey. Rooks. When he sees Matt Ryan ready to cock, he just dives right in there. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that uh, little uh, phrase there. <laughs> Let's go to the blackout segment where we talk about some of the bad rookie performances. But this one, I don't like the name on the top of this one. Deontay Johnson, no. a fan favorite PFF. But I will say this. It was no. ugly. It was, it was, it was oh, ugly. so bad. It was so bad. And like there were character concerns with the answer yes. coming out and some of that came through here in this one uh two penalties 
rough, a drop rough. And then his one catch that he did have 12, 14 yard catch late in the fourth quarter runs out of bounds yeah. when they were up trying to burn clock, like mm-hmm. pretty much ran the gamut of uh, boneheaded plays. Mm-hmm. I was talking point. to another writer and asking about Deontay Johnson because in the pre-draft process, talking about, you know, why PFF's really high in them. His tape is fantastic. He was saying, yeah, he talked to some of the Toledo coaches and was saying, you know, there were some concerns about him, some, some concerns about him mentally, some, some personality mm. concerns and some hit, grasping the playbook and things yeah. like that, which, you know, I, I'm not saying it's evident in, uh, completely in this game, but maybe a microcosm of kind of some. No, of I mean, like you, it was just, they were dumb plays. They, they were dumb plays. Yeah. They were dumb plays. I like that. That's, it that's a good way to say uh, fake production, dumb plays, <laughs> let seem ready to cock. I love the phrases that are coming out of this podcast. All right. This one I love. Nikhil Harry, what is going on? He's on our blackout oh. segment because he ran a slant like a, <laughs> well, I don't want to say it, but it wasn't great. It was very of a fragile slant. It, it was, was a very fragile slant. It was weak. And, and Bradley Roby, a castaway in this league, comes over the top, takes that pick. And, and it was just not not good. And so people are saying Bradley Roby, oh, he jumped the route, whatever, like shouldn't have thrown it. It's like they were in man coverage, press man coverage. So one, there's no like jumping around press man coverage. You jump a route and off coverage when you can <laughs> see like the quarterback and like see your route develop. You don't jump around. Like Juan Thornhill press. jumped yes, that route. Because off coverage, he just was in Nikhil Harry's hip pocket and fought to get to the ball mm-hmm. faster, better than Nikhil Harry did. Nikhil Harry, 200, let's say 228 pounds, Roby 200, or excuse me, Roby 194 pounds. That's over 30 pounds. Beats him to the ball. Uh, I don't need a scale to tell me that's over 30 pounds. And he beats him to the ball so cleanly that he can pick it off that Nikhil Harry can't even get a hand on it. Like if and Nikhil Harry, that is his bread and butter, like the contested catches. He is, you know, he was a Michael Thomas comp for the you know, if you thought he was going to be good or he was, you know, a worse comp. If you thought he's going to be bad. But he was that that was who he's supposed to be. He's supposed to win that route in his sleep. And he got so owned on that that it was a pick like you just and first Tom round Brady wide comes, receivers, first round wide receivers win press man slants against Bradley Roby in their sleep. And, and, and this has been this is a concern. It was yeah. a concern. And then you see Brady on the sideline and then he got basically benched after that because you can't have that. Like mm-hmm. you can't be putting your team at risk like that. And Brady on the sideline, just chewing into him. Like you, they had the shot of Brady just like saw he was screaming. Like mm-hmm. he's like, Hey guys thought he was screaming at like the team. Just had to kill Harry. Oh man, that rough. is very, so very unfortunate. And you said Bradley. Hopefully, Hope- hopefully Harry was blacked out for that because that looked like it was that probably would have <laughs> It's a blackout segment. Hopefully, he was blacked out. Um, to kill Harry, you said Bradley Roby in his hip pocket. I think he was in both hip pockets. I think his family members. <laughs> he was also inside involved. his pants, uh, <laughs> just wearing his pants. In fact, that was pretty incredible. All right, let's go to our last blackout segment here. We're going to bring up Dolphins rookie guard <sighs> Dion Calhoun. Not a good game for him. The, the, the Miami Dolphins offensive line across the board. Several rookies have made plays there and have all struggled it's been a tough go for this Dolphins. i don't really want to pile on calhoun because he was undrafted free agent starting at right guard against fletcher cox mm-hmm. wasn't going to go well but when you go <laughs> when you get a 2.6 pass blocking grade just you're gonna end up on the blackout segment yeah. that's like those are the rules if you're under five pass blocking mm-hmm. grade you get on the blackout segment. Dude, if so, you're under 20 <laughs> you should not be you should not be messing around gear bradbury's a frequent flyer at yeah. the blackout segment for those kind of pass block performances but like you said Undrafted free agent yeah. going against Fletcher Cox. Uh, and actually, you should black out. He yeah. probably should have blacked out before. I hope he wasn't sober for. Yeah, I hope he was on smelling salts at least. But he <laughs> five pressures, sack a hit, three more hurries. Uh, he 
I, we actually were higher on him than UDFA. We had him higher than some guys who ended up getting drafted. I think we had him in the fourth. I, I thought he was, you know, there's some promise there, something to work with. Obviously, he's now starting. So the Dolphins, I'm not actually sure they even think there's something to work with. They just don't have anyone else to work with. But, uh, yeah, it's been bad for him as a rookie. 36.4 overall grade. So what's well, uh, rooting for you, Dion? Make us look a little smarter. But that was a rough one. I mean, Fletch Cox. Last thing I'll add there. I'm glad you brought up smelling salts. I'm thinking about getting some for the office. And I was thinking about maybe ripping a pair before the next pod just give it a oh. thought just give it a thought if we get like a smelling salt sponsor mm-hmm. we've okay. already got okay the I'll, I'll work on it we got proper yeah. cloth we pair that with some smelling salts next thing you know this podcast becomes a little bit looks better and comes this is for bit. you guys you guys will enjoy it <laughs> you're welcome yeah. no you're welcome if i didn't already talk fast enough we just get the smelling salts <laughs> rolling in um but again great podcast thank you mike um make sure you can you can follow us thank on you youtube all. we're live on tuesdays and thursdays most of the time sometimes. sometimes we move in depending on player interviews but you can also find us on spotify stitcher and apple podcast we're almost on Google Live, by the way, too. We're getting there, man. We're, we're climbing. We're climbing the ranks here. But uh, thanks again. This has been Austin Gill and Mike Renner on 2 for 1 Drafts.